I think there's a perception that the more senior you are, the more work you have to do and therefore the more time it takes. But I don't think that's the case. You just do a different kind of work. It doesn't necessarily take more hours. It's just that the nature of the work is different. And actually, I've found that as I've become more senior, I've had more and more control of my own time. Welcome to the Big Career Small Children podcast. My name is Verena Hefti. I believe that no one should have to choose between becoming a CEO and enjoying their young children. For far too long, brilliant people have found themselves stuck on the career ladder when they have children. And that leads to gender inequality and the same stale, mostly male middle-class people leading our organizations. I absolutely believe we need to change this and I do think we can. And one of the ways of doing so is in my hope is that many of you listening right now to this podcast will eventually progress to the most senior leadership positions possible where you make decisions that make our world a better place. But to make this practically possible, I also run a social enterprise to provide the practical support in order to get there. So beyond the podcast, I'm the CEO and founder of the Social Enterprise Leaders Plus, which is all about the practicalities of supporting parents to get to those more senior roles through equal career progression, but also do it in a way that works for them rather than emulating types of working that we've done 50 years ago. So... A few updates. We now have a free resource section on the website where you can download helpful toolkits such as on returning from maternity leave, securing a promotion as a working parent, applying for a flexible working request or managing dual career couples. All that is on leadersplus.org. I'm also delighted that you can now apply to the Cross-Sector Leaders Plus Fellowship Programme for the cohort starting in November. Applications close on the 29th of October 2023 and we have 60 spaces available. Last year, a really large proportion of those spaces were taken up by podcast listeners and I would be delighted to see many of you apply. It is a nine-month career development program for working parents where you connect with like-minded working parents who love their careers and their kids and don't want to sacrifice one for the other. You will get a personal senior leader mentor and structured thinking time to work out what you want for your family and career and also get that practical support to get there. All the details are on leadersplus.org forward slash apply. In this episode, which is part of our CEO series, Laura and I talk about when you know that you're good enough to be a CEO. Why the CEO is actually perfect for working parents, the CEO role, I mean, and what Laura learned about confidence and doubt. Enjoy the conversation. Great. A very warm welcome, Laura, to the podcast. Let's start with you introducing who you are, what you do for work and who is in your family. Hello, I'm Laura. I'm chief executive of an organisation called London and Partners. We're a social enterprise and we are the business and destination agency for London, which means I'm responsible for promoting London around the world for investors and tourists, for supporting London-based businesses to become global players, for attracting big events to the city and helping small business owners in London to thrive. And in my family is my husband, Rob. I have two daughters who are six and two. Because we're both Londoners, our families live nearby, so we're very lucky to have grandparents and aunties and uncles and sisters all nearby too. Great. And 
Tell me one thing you used to believe about combining a big career with young children that you don't subscribe to anymore. I used to think that being more senior meant being more busy. And that's not true. Interesting. Can you say more about that? I think there's a perception that the more senior you are, the more work you have to do and therefore the more time it takes. But I don't think that's the case. You just do a different kind of work. It doesn't necessarily take more hours. It's just that the nature of the work is different. And actually, I've found that as I've become more senior, I've had more and more control of my own time. I also found that moving from a client-facing role to a senior leadership to a chief executive role meant that I wasn't frontline defense every time a client wanted something. I have, we have many clients. We have thousands of clients, investors all, all over the world. But I have teams who are responsible for dealing with, with things that happen. And so actually, I'm, I'm pretty much in control of my time and my working hours. And it's only when there's a real crisis that I have to drop things and do firefighting and get involved last minute. So my workload, I find, is quite manageable and also quite predictable. Hmm. That is so counterintuitive, actually, for many of the listeners, I'm sure, who will assume exactly what you used to assume. Why do you think we have this image of a CEO working crazy hours? I think some CEOs probably do work crazy hours. That's probably because they're choosing to work crazy hours. I think it's also because of the nature of the work. So when my teams look in my calendar and everyone in my organization can see my calendar, it looks like it's, you know, a lot of the time it's back to back, it's meetings, meetings, meetings. Yes, that's true. The counterpoint to that is most of my job is going to meetings. So yes, of course, I have email and sometimes I have to do, you know, I have to write board papers and I have desk work. But off, but most of my role is being out as an advocate, a representative, negotiating, managing stakeholders, winning funding. And so just because my diary looks very full, it's just because the nature of the way I spend my working day is perhaps different to a colleague who spends most of their working day doing something desk-based. Mm. Interesting. And so I've sp just spent a morning on a call with people from Brunel University who are analyzing this big survey we, we did with more than a thousand people. Uh, you know, working parents. And one thing that has come out quite strongly is that the number of people who choose not to go for senior roles because they they think it's not feasible to combine that pressure with a family is is really way too high. And so I think what you're saying there speaks to that and that actually the pressure doesn't have to be that intense, but I'm interested in the other side. What do you get from being a CEO? Why is it worth even just going through the intense recruitment process to go for that type of role where you are, you know, the box stops with you. And, and even if you don't work crazy hours, you do have a lot of pressure. What, what is in it for you to do that type of role? So I think it's really interesting that you make the difference between amounts of work and pressure. Because in my experience, they're very different things. I might not work very long hours, and I don't because I have young children and I'm quite disciplined in the hours that I work. That doesn't mean that a CEO isn't carrying a lot of the emotional labor of the organization. And that is pressure, and it's tiring in a different way. And it's hard to not bring that home with you. So I think it's important to differentiate when you're thinking about, do I have the capacity to take on a senior leadership role? 
one aspect of it is, do I physically have the time? Will I be able to literally manage my children, get them to school or nursery, pick them up? How can I manage my time in a practical way? But the other aspect is, do I have the emotional capacity? Because it, it's, it's emotional labor to be a leader. You are taking the, the hopes and the dreams and the anxieties and the fears of, in my case, sort of nearly 300 people with you every day. When things go wrong, the buck stops with you. And there is a sense of responsibility that comes with that. And for me, that's the much bigger part of the work. It's not the number of hours. The number of hours is kind of beside the point almost. Interesting. I've never heard that distinction made in this very clear way. Um, why are you able to deal with that pressure? I'm not always, and sometimes it's really hard. And I think it's important to acknowledge that it's not always fun. No job is always fun. But most of the time, I, I love it. I partly love it because I really enjoy being a CEO but also because I love what I do. I'm, I'm a Londoner born and bred. I think this is the most amazing city in the world. To be able to promote it is such a privilege. And I also love the diversity of it. In any day, I could be meeting the CEO of a global hotel chain and a tech startup company and a very small creative business and City Hall and the government. I love the diversity. I'm one of those people who's like a jack of all trades and a master of none. And I'm Really, I'm very nosy. Some people would say curious. I just say nosy. I love knowing what's going on in all different sectors. So, so I love that as well. And I've been doing it for six years and it's never been boring. There's never been a day when I haven't met someone new, learned something new, had a new challenge. So for all those reasons, I love it. Mm, oh, that's such a great testament to applying to, to a CEO, you know, I've, I've said to you before we come on this call, I've definitely got an agenda in that. I would love for lots of the listeners to consider. So what do you think, and this is not a job interview, obviously, but I'm just trying to think, what are the things, the most important things that you had to have or you had to show in order to be ready for a CEO role? I think the most important thing was convincing myself that I was ready. Um, I applied for the role and it was a very, very long recruitment process, which is quite a public sectory. This is a sort of pseudo public sector organization. It was a quite a public sectory thing. So the recruitment process went on for so long that when I applied for the job, I wasn't pregnant. And by the time I started the job, I was five and a half months pregnant. So I started the job five and a half months pregnant and all credit to the mayor and the deputy mayor. When I said, I'd love to do this job, but I have to tell you, I'm pregnant. So I'm going to come in, I'm going to do three months and then I'm going to go away again. They were fantastic and they couldn't have been more supportive and the team couldn't have been more supportive. So I think for me, the biggest challenge at the time was, you know, having got myself into halfway through this recruitment process then, okay, I'm actually pregnant. Great. Can I really, can I really do this? Is this the right time? New baby, first baby. Why would I have a new baby and a new job and my first CEO job at the same time? That sounds like a crazy thing to do. So I think it was getting the confidence to actually do it. Mm. It does sound incredibly intense. And many people experience intense emotions during pregnancy and having a new baby just with sleep deprivation 
and who knows hormones whatever it is but is that something that you experienced at all or not oh no definitely uh talk to my husband about it <laughs> I was awful I did I probably didn't realize it at the time with my first pregnancy and because I think a lot of the emotion of the new job and I I'd come into a, a turnaround situation so it was quite a stressful situation anyway So there was all of that and I probably wasn't able to, I thought it was all the work and probably it was partly the work and partly the hormones. But it was something that made me think really, really hard before having my second child, which was that I was very nervous about being pregnant while I was working. I wasn't worried then about the maternity leave because that had gone well and my husband had shared parental leave and, and fine. That that was great. I wasn't worried about that and I wasn't worried about having the baby. The bit that I was most concerned about was nine months of being a crazy person and how that would affect my performance at work, how it would affect my relationships with my colleagues. Would I trust my own judgment? And that really made me think twice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you for being so open. And did those fears of not feeling good in, in that situation, did those fears materialize or how did you deal with that? How did you make yourself feel okay a lot of the time? I'm sure not not always, but... What helped massively was that it was COVID. I was pregnant through COVID. So I was working, it was when we were all working full-time from home. That was huge because especially in the first trimester, as is normal, I was really tired. And it meant that I could literally do a Zoom call for an hour, have a nap for half an hour, do a half an hour call, have another nap. I mean, I was having like 10 naps a day. And being able to do that was just a complete game changer. Not having to commute. Then when I was more heavily pregnant, which I had, I'd commuted, you know, five days a week all through my first pregnancy. And a lot of my job in normal times is events. So because of the nature of what we do, I do lots of evening events, you know, receptions, dinners and so on, and a lot of tours and walking. And so a lot of my job, I'm on my feet quite a lot of the day, which is something I love about it. It's, it's great. I, I, I much rather that I like being active, but doing that as I got closer to the end of the pregnancy would have been really tough just being on my feet all day. But it was COVID. So I sat at home in leggings and a jumper for nine months. And loads of people that I work with didn't even know I was pregnant because they only see you like from the neck up. And then occasionally I would stand up to go and get a cup of tea and they go, oh my God. <laughs> Which is not what you want to hear. <laughs> That's a huge problem. Yeah. So, so for me, COVID made it way easier mm. wow that's a really interesting and just to give our listeners a an impression a lot of people do feel like that that they're not able to perform but then in reality for your job you can see quite hard numbers if the organization is doing well or not well I'm sure did you actually do well during that period COVID was a really really difficult time for us Because one of the things we do is we're the tourism board for London. So we are responsible for attracting tourists to London, attracting events to London, and we support the tourism industry. We have three or four hundred members, which is all the major hotels, the airports, the, the, the visitor attractions and so on in London. So it was a horrible time for my partners. Mm. They were doing massive furlough, massive redundancy, watching businesses that they had worked to build for decades just crumble to nothing. So that was really tough. And our role as the city was to really stand by them and support them. 
And then alongside that, we're a social enterprise. Some of our income is grants, some of it's commercial. A lot of our commercial income was reliant on tourists and tourist ticket sales. Mm. And our commercial income went to zero overnight. So we ourselves were in a really difficult financial situation at the same time as the partners that we serve were in a really difficult financial situation. So you know, did the organization perform well during COVID? I mean, there was no good during COVID for anyone who was anything to do with tourism. But we were resilient. And I think our culture is really strong. And that shone through. And because we stood by our partners, we actually came out of it in a much better place. We came out of COVID much more strongly than we went into it. But those two years were really, really tough. I can imagine. But it's interesting. So that what you've described to me there, to me, that looks like good performance in a really tough environment. And the fact you were able to do that whilst going to sleep during the day, I'm not saying you're asleep all the time, but I think just sometimes it's so interesting in how much we are holding ourselves back from looking after ourselves. And that's a very basic thing, right? You have other needs also when you're not pregnant, but just being pregnant and being tired, anyone who has experienced that will be able to resonate with the absolute need to just close your eyes. What do you think gave you the confidence to go and lie down? Nobody could see me. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. I, mean, I didn't. I didn't say to everyone, "Hey, I'm going to go and have a nap now." That's interesting. But you didn't feel like you had to explain. No, no, I didn't yeah. feel I had to explain. And if anyone had asked, I would say, "No, I'm going to have a nap." So I wasn't necessarily hiding it, but I didn't feel the need to announce it either. And um, I mean. When you're pregnancy tired, it's almost sometimes not a choice. You're going to fall asleep, whatever happens. And it's a question of whether you fall asleep in your chair or in the bed. I find it very, in a way, very inspiring <laughs> because it's, yeah, I think it's so easy to not put your basic needs first and to always try to push through. I don't usually interrupt a podcast for ads, but as you know, I really passionately believe we need more people who don't look like your stereotypical white, male, stale, middle-class leader works nine to five in decision-making roles. And so I just want to take a minute to very warmly invite you to apply to our cross-sector fellowship program. That is, if you're listening right now, you're caring for your kids, you do find the juggle tough at times, but also you do have big dreams for your career. And if that's you, then I would love it if you would put an application in. Any questions, just get in touch. I've asked the past fellow, Jennifer Crowley, to share with you what she got from the experience. All the details are on leadersplus.org forward slash apply. This is Jennifer's experience. Hi, I'm Jennifer Crowley, Global Director of Responsible Business with Kin and Carta. We are a digital transformation consultancy with colleagues around the world and really, really proud to be the first listed B Corp on the London Stock Exchange. I completed the Leaders Plus um, program in 2021 as I was returning from Matley with my second child. It was game-changing for me. I feel so lucky to have met it, to have met the program, to have met Verena, to have met the structure, the preparation, and the diligence that goes into every minute of every call. It is such good value. Why has it been game-changing for me? I met it at the right time. I was really clear that I did not want to repeat that dip that I experienced from my first maternity leave. My ambition was higher than ever. 
And so I needed to be quite intentional about seeking out the support that my mind, my intellect and my emotions needed to get back in the game as I was returning from mat leave. The people that I met on the course have become allies and uh, co-conspirators for life, I hope. We've met in real life a few times, but the hybrid nature of the Leaders Plus program has really worked for schedules and for deadlines and for all of the competing demands of life. My advice to anyone considering whether they deserve such a support program is don't hesitate. Do prioritize, do fight for the time to get clear on why and how you will work it. It's a muscle. And so the structure, the insight, the research that the course brings you does deserve that time to to reflect upon and to incorporate into how you go about your work, into the annual targets that you will set as part of your role. I offer my absolute support and encouragement to anybody that's considering the program. Very specifically, it equips you with knowledge, it reduces your doubt, and it galvanizes your ambition into a very constructive plan. I don't think it's any coincidence that I'm now in my dream role, working with Kinn Carter's executive board to really solidify our ESG ambitions, to recertify for B Corp, and to go on and do great things for our clients in the context of the climate and diversity and inclusion. Can I ask you and link to this about setting boundaries? You mentioned at the beginning that that was something you were good at, at least in terms of time, but you've got 300 employees, you've got clients, and I'm sure you've got crisis like any organization does. There will be some external crisis at some point. What do you do practically to set boundaries? What does that look like for you? So I don't know if I'm good at it. It's always a work in progress. I think for me, the most important thing has been being really clear and having a consensus with my senior leadership team about our boundaries. Because there's no point me having boundaries if all of my direct reports are working till 10pm and and emailing me and texting me and needing responses, because that's impossible for them. And one of the responsibilities I think we have as senior leaders is not to make everyone else's life a nightmare, and to understand the impact of our choices on everybody else. So you can't make your boundaries then a problem for everyone. So we agreed within, we have an agreement within my team that after six-ish, we don't email each other, we don't teams each other, we don't WhatsApp each other, unless it's really urgent. If it's urgent, it's totally fine. We're all senior leaders. It's our job. Of course, we'll drop everything and deal with it. But if it's not, it can wait till tomorrow. So that's the first thing. Delayed email is the gift from God. It's quite often, if it's a busy time, I will work in the evening once the kids are in bed. Quite often, I'll work a Sunday evening to clear my inbox and prepare for Monday. But I will put everything on timed email so it sends in the morning because I don't want my team, whether it's my immediate senior managing directors or if it's someone else in the organization, to get an email from me on a Sunday evening. And suddenly, even if they don't deal with it straight away, they're thinking about it. it it's, it's polluted their off time with work thinking. And I don't want to do that. So I'll always put everything on delayed send. You will not hear from me over the weekend. Again, unless it's a crisis. One of the other things that we agreed as a team was that we wanted to differentiate between when we're just chatting like socially. So, you know, we're a close-knit team. Everyone like send pictures of their kids or oh, I'll do this at the weekend versus when we're doing like work chat that actually needs a reply. 
So what we do in in our team, and I'm not saying this works for everyone, is that we use Teams because we're a Microsoft organization. We use Teams for work and we use WhatsApp for fun stuff. So our WhatsApp chat sometimes go through the weekend because someone will be out and about, like send funny photos or whatever, but we don't do business on our WhatsApp. And so that's helped us to have boundaries and to be thoughtful about, is this work or isn't it? Do I actually need to say this right now or don't I? And I think that's also helped. It sounds like a very well-oiled machine. And have you ever had a situation where someone else comes into your ether, let's let's say, let's say a, a client or a new partner works in a different way who will send you an email at eight o'clock in the, at night saying, can we meet at 9.30? Who didn't, you might not have set those expectations with. Have you ever had a situation like that? And if yes, how did you deal with it? That's a good question. Not that springs to mind, to be honest. Everyone has been really respectful of, of boundaries. And everyone that we've brought into the team, we've been very clear about from the start and we've contracted as a group and, and agreed how we want to work. Mm-hmm. As I said, the nature of what I do is that the things that come to me are usually not urgent in a needs to be dealt with in the next hour kind of way. It's it's rare that there's something like that. You know, I'm not saving people's lives. I'm not running the fire brigade here, realistically. And it's about having a sense of perspective. Some people might think it's like super urgent and very terrible. Really? If we deal with this tomorrow, is it going to be so bad? No. Um, so it's also about managing everyone's sort of calibration of what, what is actually urgent. And sometimes stuff is, but it's rare. You strike me as someone really confident hearing from you just in this and well first of all is that true and secondly what gives you that confidence to do what you think is right rather than going with the flow because there's still I mean you work with technical businesses for example and my I might be biased here but my impression is that technical businesses have very different styles of working than what you described what gives you the confidence to set stuff up in that way that you've just described I have terrible imposter syndrome like most people do, though I have to say six years in, I'm a different person to who I was six years ago. And I have a lot less imposter syndrome than I had when I started. Interesting. What? Why do you think? What, what has changed? The passage of time. So doing the job and seeing the results come through and often in senior leadership roles, the kind of changes we make and the kind of impact we have isn't felt immediately. It's not the nature of the role usually that the impact is immediate, unless you're running a listed business and you have a share price. So when you change the culture of an organization, that takes several years to really change. If you change, you set a new strategy, it'll take a couple of years before you can see whether that strategy is actually working. You don't necessarily get very, very quick feedback loops in the way that you might if you're in a more kind of fast-paced sales role or you're doing e-commerce, you can see straight away what's happening. But usually the kinds of choices that senior leaders make are more long-term just by the nature of them. And so I think one of the things that's given me confidence is that I've done the job for long enough that I can see the impact of the changes I've made and it's worked. And that's really the thing that I think has given me confidence because I'm somebody who judges myself. I'm, I'm one of those people who I'm my own biggest critic and people externally saying to me, oh, you're doing a great job. Yes, that's nice. But I know that for me, I don't believe I'm doing a good job unless 
I can see it in the metrics that I care about judged against the criteria that I've set myself, I guess. And you need enough time to do that. And I think one of the challenges is that people often, there's a temptation to change jobs very quickly. You want to progress. And I know certainly for me, once I'd been doing this job for maybe four years or so, lots of people started saying, what are you going to do next? What are you going to do next? And I really felt, well, I've, I've just got started and there was COVID. I lost two years to COVID. But it's only now that I have the organization of, of a shape and the strategy and the culture and the leadership team that's, that's really firing all cylinders. Now the fun starts. And so I think, I mean, it sounds like a, not a very useful thing to say, but genuinely the passage of time mm. has made a huge but difference But I mean, that gives me. hope, I guess, to anyone who is thinking of applying to see a role, gets it and then thinks, oh my goodness, what have I done? But I do want to challenge you just in the, for the benefit of the listeners, I guess, just thinking about, so you're obviously established now, you've seen the results, you, can, you are confident, but let's say in five years or 10 years for that matter, you do choose to move on and you go to a field where you have, you know, little. What have you learned about managing that imposter syndrome as a CEO? Because as a CEO, you don't have anybody, you don't have a line manager who taps you on the head and says, well done. And sorry, that was very, like, I didn't mean it yeah, to be that. No, descending, but you don't have anyone who says to you, well done. So, so how are you going to manage that if ever you do choose to move on to a field that you don't know anything about? It's a really good question. I probably haven't thought about it enough. My board have been really supportive. My husband is my greatest cheerleader. And whenever I come home and say, oh, I'm terrible at this job and I'm doing everything wrong, he, he's always the one that says, no, you're not. It's, it's all fine. I think one of the things that sometimes has made me feel better is thinking, okay, I've made mistakes. I, that, those were not the right calls. No, I've not had a good day today. But overall, could anyone do this job better? Because I think sometimes we hold ourselves up against this imaginary person that could do the job better than us, but actually they don't exist. So it's like, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes all the time. Yes, totally the case. But am I probably the best person right now to do this job? Yeah, probably. And that sometimes I find gives me some comfort. Mm-hmm. And do you think having children changed you as a leader in any shape or form. It's hard to say because you weren't a CEO before having children, but you think you're a different CEO now? Definitely. I think the biggest thing is it's made me think much more carefully about the return on my time, where I invest time. So before I had children and I worked really long hours, I was a real perfectionist. I would make sure that everything was done right. And because time was very elastic. So if I needed to work late, I worked late or whatever. Whereas now I have very fixed time as the fixed thing. And so the thing that has to vary is where I spend my time. And so I think I've become much more thoughtful about what should I really be focused on? Do I really need to be in that meeting? Where am I going to make the biggest difference? When is good enough good enough? And honestly, that has made me a much better leader. I think that being thoughtful about where I spend my time means I meddle a lot less my natural tendency as a leader is probably to micromanage because I'm a perfectionist. If you have very limited time, you just don't have time to micromanage. You just can't. And so I think it has, it's made me a better leader in that way. Mm. Interesting. And do you think you as a leader are experienced differently by the people around you? Do the people around you, do they know that you have children? Are they 
or is that not something on their radar at all? They do. Everyone in my leadership team has children. At a time, most of us had small children. We now have one, two, three, four. We have five primary school aged children between us at the moment. I'm never, no, I don't hide it at all. I love my kids and I'm proud of them. And I don't think being a parent is anything to be ashamed of. It's part of who I am. But I'm also really open about it with the whole, you know, with the whole team. And, you know, I write a weekly little email. And I will say, oh, I did this at the weekend with the kids or, yeah, no, I, I think it's part of who I am and that's fine. And you mentioned in terms of prioritization, I'm just curious, on a Friday evening, when you look ahead to the next week, how do you choose where to be at and where not? Because as a CEO, you could be invited to endless activities and walkabouts and so on. Can you talk me through, without naming names, some of the practical choices that you're making about where to spend your time? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm probably not as scientific about it as I should be. Often it's just a gut instinct. Yeah, I should really turn up to that. I'll prioritize external network and building new network where seniority matters. So there are networks that colleagues can build and then there are meetings where only the CEO would get invited or an event where you can only go because you're the CEO or an introduction you'll only get because you're the CEO. Mm -hmm. I'll always, I'll do those ones because it opens up new network for us and then colleagues can then follow up with other people in the team. But often a CEO will only meet a CEO. So I'll prioritize, I'll prioritize those things. Interesting. And on networking, you mentioned a lot of these networking things are in the evening. How do you make it practically work also with your energy and with the with your energy and just also wanting to be present with the kids? So I, I limit it. I don't usually do more than two evening things in a week. We're really lucky in that we're both Londoners, so we have grandparents on hand who do a lot of help after school, after nursery. I think also one of the things that I've just accepted is that often I don't see the kids on a weekday evening. So I get the kids up every morning. I always see them before school. But I accept that Monday to Thursday, quite often I might not see the kids any evening Monday to Thursday. Because even if I don't have an evening event, they're often in bed by the time I get home. And what I've learned, or what I've come to accept, is that quality time, for me personally, it's different for everyone. Quality time is better than kind of guilt time. So rushing home from work to be there in time to have 10 minutes of bath and bed when I'm stressed and I'm still on my phone and it's changed the whole dynamic because they've been having a perfectly nice evening with granny or my husband or whoever. And then suddenly I appear at the last minute when they're tired and they're just about to go to bed just because it makes me feel less guilty that I've seen them. That's actually not good for the kids. It just disrupts them. They don't get the best of me. And I realize that I'm only doing it to make myself not feel bad. It's not actually for them. And so I've tried to say, you know what, on the days I'm not going to see them in the evening, I'm just not going to see them. And at that point, it doesn't matter whether you get home 10 minutes before bedtime or three hours later. And then you might as well get your work done, work late, go to an event because you're not going to see them anyway. But then on the days when I am going to see them, I really make the effort to be home early and have dinner with them and, and do the whole evening routine because that's nice and it's quality time and we can all relax into it. And I feel like I'm actually giving them something of myself. And so for me, that's made a difference is just kind of having that distinction between when am I doing it for them and when am I doing it for me mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and letting go of the guilt. Mm. Interesting. And is there any advice that you've received which has shaped how you want to be a parent 
alongside being a CEO? Oh, that's a great question. I haven't had much advice on being a parent and a CEO because I don't know very many CEOs who have young children. I know lots of CEOs who have children, but usually their children are much older. I haven't met that many people who've been a CEO and had their children whilst being a CEO and have had young children. And we've had to think that through at work. So for example, if you're a director on the board of the company, what happens when you go on maternity leave? Do you still have to vote? Or can someone, if you have a map cover, do they take your proxy on the board, but then do you have to make them a board member? There's all this stuff you have to think through, which most businesses there isn't a lot of precedent because it doesn't happen that often, I guess. I think it's really important that you are where you are, what you're doing, because we do need more CEOs who have a variety of lived experiences, including young children. And by the way, this is going to be released as part of a series of CEOs with young children. So hopefully oh, great. <laughs> we'll be able to introduce these to some people. So um, I'd love that. Oh, that would be <laughs> we can invite you all you. for a coffee Thank if you, you like. <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. Amazing. Something else I think has, pers- this is really, again, very, very personal, won't work for everyone. That's helped me is being efficient about my kind of home chores. So I used, pre-COVID, I always used to wear heels. I'm really, really small. And heels used to make me feel taller and more powerful and more confident. What I realized post-COVID when I went back to work is that it really slows me down. There is enough other stuff that we don't need to trip ourselves up, like literally trip ourselves up. Pushing a pram in heels, really stupid. You also trash your shoes by using the brakes. You know, when you flip the brake on and off, I've got a foot brake. It's terrible for the shoes. So like, do you know what? I'm just not going to do it. I'm going to wear comfortable boots or trainers. Honestly, I think it saves me like 10 minutes a day because I can just walk faster. It's small things like if you're in heels, you can't balance on the tube, which means you have to hold on with one hand, which means you can't do email standing up on the tube. If I'm in trainers, I can stand without holding something. I have two hands. I can get 25 minutes work done on the way in. That's really material to my day and to my productivity, like being able to genuinely work on the tube. So it sounds really small and stupid, but just wearing trainers has been transformational. And I'll still keep a pair of heels in my locker if I really feel it's necessary. I have really short hair. And to be fair, that's that's a fashion choice rather than anything else. But I have short kind of really curly hair. And so I spend zero time in the morning on my hair. I literally get out of bed, run a finger through it. It's done. And I think, I know, I know people who are blow drying their hair for 20 minutes every morning. If I were doing that every morning, I mean, that's like two hours of your week gone on blow drying hair. I don't iron anything. I just don't buy anything that needs to be ironed. I have the odd, like if I have nice stuff, when it needs it, it goes to the dry cleaners, but all my normal stuff, nothing gets ironed. None of the kids' stuff gets iron. And my husband agrees. He buys those non-iron shirts from M&S. You honestly can't tell. They're amazing. So it's just stuff like that where just trying to limit the amount of extraneous stuff you have to do that isn't either good for your work or for family. And it's not, it's not fun for you either. I found that it's just given me time. It's just given me time back. That's really excellent advice. And we are now recording this without the video on in order to make sure the broadband works well. But I've seen you very briefly and you... You couldn't tell at all that you're spending not so much time on your appearance. I think it's a really good reminder that actually, if you plan it well, um, you can. I'm not suggesting that you need to like, hey, how to become a CEO? Shave your head. I mean, (laughs) obviously, that's not what I'm saying. It's what you know. It's like the broader point, kind of 
think about where your time's going, where you're not getting very much back from that time. And are there ways that you can reduce it? Absolutely. And to be fair, some people might might love blow drying their hair. It might be their their personal time, which is go for it. But if that's not where you want to spend your time, then don't do it. What was the impact of your partner? And what have you learned about making that partnership work for your career development? So I'm really glad you asked that because I wouldn't be able to do this job without my husband, who is just the most incredible supporter and a fantastic feminist. We often joke that he's a much better feminist than I am, but he really is. And I don't think we talk enough about men feminists. And I've been hugely supported by at least three male feminists to do what I do. One is my husband, and the other two are the two men who did my maternity covers, both of whom were my direct reports. And they each stepped up and did five or six months as acting CEO. They did it really well. And then most importantly, when I came back, they stepped aside with absolute grace and dignity and generosity. That is not an easy thing to do. It's not easy to be the CEO and then to go back to your job. And so I'm hugely grateful, obviously, to my husband and you know <laughs> the love of my life who, who makes all this possible, but also to the, to the two men who did my, my maternity covers, because without people who are prepared to do maternity covers and do it gracefully for CEOs, CEOs can't go on leave. And that really matters too. So I don't think we can talk enough about support networks and... I don't think this is a women's problem and feminism isn't only for women. Very well said. Is there anything else you would like to say? No, thank you. I just, I, I hope that some of this has been helpful. I've probably been more honest than I, not that I didn't intend to be honest, but you've asked me all sorts of questions that I don't usually talk about. So you've made me think and it's always good to, to have a reason to think. <laughs> so thank you for the great questions. Mm, not, not at all. So to bring this to a close we're always ending the podcast asking about practical things because everybody who's listening is pretty busy um but if there's someone who's listening who's currently in a senior management role has young children but wants to in a few years time be in a position where they can apply for a ceo role if they just want to have a little bit momentum towards it what would be one or two things that take no more than five minutes that they could do this week to move towards that trajectory oh to move towards being a ceo that they could do if there's nothing then we also need to say that <laughs> i think being a ceo isn't an abstract thing it's a specific thing most people don't want to be a ceo they want to be a ceo of something and if that's not the case and they're probably a kind of power freak and probably shouldn't be a CEO. So I would say maybe have a look at relevant jobs boards or ads or wherever in your industry CEO roles are advertised and see which ones you think, wow, I would love to do that and I could do that and see what the criteria are that they're asking for in the person specification. Because everyone's first CEO job isn't abstract, it's specific. And so I think it's understanding that it's just another job it happens to be a ceo job but it's just another job and can you make it as tangible as possible that would probably be my thought 
Fantastic. Very helpful. And if people want to find out more about you or your work, where should they go? Londonandpartners.com. Perfect. Simple. Thank you for listening and spending this time with me today. If it has been helpful to you, but you would like more support from others to help you develop your career and enjoy your family in a realistic way, then I would love for you to consider joining our fellowship program, which is a high impact program helping you progress your career with little ones in tow. All the details are on leadersplus.org forward slash apply. On the fellowship, you will get access to an amazing group of peers who all have experienced bringing up kids whilst progressing their career. You'll get access to brilliant role models who've been there, done that, support with practical challenges, for example, workload management or saying no, and you'll be given time to develop your vision and make a plan for what you want to achieve in your career, but also in your family life. And you'll do that in small group sessions. In our last cohort, more than half have got promoted or have got senior responsibility, more senior responsibility by the end of the programme, for example, a board role, and they have all got involved in some shape or form in driving vital change for working parents. In terms of the impact on work-life balance, there has been an increase of, let me think, was it 61 or 59? 61 or 59%, I need to look up the data, in terms of the self-perceived ability to manage work-life balance. So real massive impact. So if you want to join, then do put in an application. We've got until the 29th of October, 2023. And all the info is on leadersplus.org forward slash apply.